I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1959, the album and evening wasted with Tom Lehrer, the artist Tom Lehrer. And my guest this week is Will Hines. Thank you so much for being here. Greetings, Jason. Thank you for having me. Uh, you have a long and storied history in improv, I Will do. Hines. My gosh, it goes on forever. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about that first, or we can talk about Tom Lehrer. I do want to know where let's you get into the him. album. Let's get yes, into let's the album. Enough it. about me. My life is boring and mundane. <laughs> That's uh, fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can get into it. I'm not opposed to it. Sure, But sure. Uh, I feel like we should prioritize Tommy here. I'm Tom fine Lair. with that. I'm just, fine with that. I don't that. think anybody calls him Tommy. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm not an expert in him. I just love this album. No, it's one of those situations where I just have a... So, uh, An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer. These are like parody songs, essentially, like funny songs. Mm-hmm. He plays the piano and sings them. And so when I was a kid, I was born in 1970, so like in the 1980s when I was a young teenager mm-hmm. and sort of comedy nerd and absorbing comedy, Tom Leher was kind of all over the place. Like mm-hmm. he was still pretty present. Like on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock, there was a local radio station that played something called The Comedy Hour, and it was just some DJ's oh, so good. selection of usually stand-up clips, mm-hmm. just like that he would just put on a track from a George Carlin album or a Bill mm-hmm. Cosby album or something and like... But he would also do Monty Python sketches, just anything that was an That's album. Awesome. Yeah. And I learned a lot of comedy from this thing. And Tom Leher was a staple of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Tom Leher uh, would also get around like it was a pretty quick discovery of people who like to make like mixtapes. Mm-hmm. They would throw in like a Tom Leher song for fun, like yeah. The Elements or Oedipus Rex. And so... It wasn't like he, he was like he was like equivalent to Monty Python in terms of obscurity, meaning okay. not really obscure. If you're a comedy nerd, like the normal people walking around my junior high school wouldn't have known who he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it wasn't if you were a comedy nerd at all, you mm-hmm. knew him or you you play. A song. But now I feel like he's he's faded a bit. I don't I don't feel like he he shows up as much. Sure. Uh, in like the conversation or references, I feel like people don't know this guy, mm-hmm. and uh, what a delight! I mean, I feel like this—I love this album so dearly. Yeah. His um, self-deprecating, incredibly dry tone—I mm-hmm. uh, imprinted on it immediately. I absorbed that virus and incorporated <laughs> it into my being at mm-hmm. the age of twelve. And <laughs> even the name of this album, "An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer," it makes me <laughs> laugh. It's so funny. The no. the cover photo is like. <laughs> It's like insane. There's, it's a, it's a. This is a live album that he recorded uh, at Harvard or something or in Cambridge or whatever. And like he was a professor at Harvard, and so it's it's him at a piano, but he's way in the background, <laughs> and the in the foreground is just the audience watching him. But it's like a self-deprecating photo in a way, in a very dry way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that comedy is a little, not even a little. It's a lot square. It's like, yeah. well, here's yeah. the joke and. He hits the joke front and center throughout his song. It's yeah. very like dad and mom safe. For sure. Like you can't miss the joke. Mm-hmm. There's nothing subtle about the humor. But I don't know. He, I love his energy and attitude. And I, it, it's similar to uh, Nichols and May mm-hmm. or Bob Newhart. It's, it's somehow hip even though they're bringing it right to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it also represents an era of comedy that I romanticize, which is like suit and tie uh-huh. 
comedy where a smarty pants Ivy League person or Ivy League seeming person would get in front of an audience of people in suit and ties and mm-hmm. make wry comments and everyone would just go nuts. <laughs> like, I long for that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the opposite of Dane Cook. Not that I actually have anything, a problem with Dane Cook, but sure. in terms of characterizing it, it's like, it's, I don't know. So anyway, that's my, I love it. I love it. Have you, had you ever heard it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, this one I've owned for a long time. I don't know that I've heard them all, but I feel like no, you know, I, I feel like through listening to enough compilations and people, he doesn't have a ton of to stuff. Song. No, not really. He's basically got like three albums, mm-hmm. and there's duplicates. There's duplicates That's in that, it, yeah. And then a fourth album that he did for that was the week that, or yes. this was the week that was, mm-hmm. which has the Vatican Rag, which is like his <laughs> big, so good. the big song from that album. But um, he's so he's basically got four albums, mm-hmm. and it's really only three and a half worth of material on that, and then he's out. Yeah. He's like the Smiths. Yeah, very much so. He just like cranked out a couple great albums and mm-hmm. then vanished. Yeah, because he was, he had this sort of, uh, you know, was exhausted, didn't think there's anything left to satirize because it was doing it itself and just said, fuck it, I'm out. And yeah. I mean, his, I, I look, I don't know anything about this dude, but <laughs> I think I, what I read into his banter, he's got pretty substantial banter before yes. he introduces the songs. He sounds like, a guy who is so cynical and so sarcastic that he would probably have trouble believing in anything, uh-huh. and I assume himself. And I could see him easily getting discouraged you know, with the state of the world, like heading into the 60s, right? Like he yeah. records these albums in 1959 and 1960. A couple years later, the president gets shot. Then uh-huh. the Vietnam War escalates. Then Martin Luther King and uh, Robert Kennedy get shot. Mm-hmm. And there's the riots in Chicago. I can see him being like, uh, I'm not into making fun of these things. Yeah. They're right. they're incredibly sad and huge. And I don't know. And, you know, and then the rise of youth culture with Woodstock mm-hmm. that I don't think he liked. He you makes fun tell. of rock and roll records. <laughs> he just thinks young people are kind of stupid. Yeah. Uh-huh. Rock so and roll or other he's children's not, music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, he's not enamored by the up and coming hippie generation. Uh, I don't think he'd be like charmed by like John Lennon or stuff. Right. I, I don't know this, right? But I, sure. So I can just imagine him dropping out in the mid '60s, just mm-hmm. being like, "Screw it." And um, and he was a mathematics professor. Mm-hmm. He like published serious articles yeah. in like major journals and was a teacher at Harvard. He like had a career, so. I don't know. The he weird... did four albums, and that's all he wanted to do, and I love him. Weirdly, he settled down in Santa Cruz, though, which I feel like is one of the most hippie-ish places you could settle down in. I guess that's true, but, but it's probably the quality of life is awesome, right? Like you're on the ocean, and like be, the weather's yeah. perfect, and mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful little town. I think he's a dude that did not live his life to make a great entry on Wikipedia. He right. lived his life to have great days for himself, mm-hmm. and it sounds like maybe he did it. That's, yeah, that's fair. But, I, I, that's something we should all do. His right. songs are catnip to me, though. Like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I enjoy I them. The, well, the thing is, like, I'm like, but before you, I always try and listen to these as close to the interviews I can, and I'm like, well, you know, I've heard it before. I, I can just flip through, and yeah. that's dumb. Why would I do that? I, I'm like, I had to totally listen to the whole thing again. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, I had sucked to. in, yeah, because I'm like, I've heard it. He's him. so fun. It's it's and again, it is. It, there are some people whose cynicism is um, painful and boring and not interesting to listen to. Yeah. he is charming he's great and his songs are pretty um they're middle of the road really like yeah i mean like they're they're like a certain kind of dangerous in which they're not really like his Mm -hmm. first the first track on this album is poisoning pigeons in the park (laughs) and um i I read on like a music site yesterday that like there was some experiment that some animal control agency was doing where they would put strychnine in food to like reduce the sort Uh of 
intrusive pigeon population, I guess, <laughs> intrusive on humans' lives. Sure, sure. But he takes it just as someone who's doing it for fun, for like fun. someone who like loves poisoning pigeons, <laughs> uh-huh. set to this jaunty tune. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I guess technically that's a dark subject matter for to sure. talk about killing animals, but it's like so silly and broad. Mm-hmm. It's like safe, dangerous. Yeah. Um, but again, his voice is so world weary. I think I might like his banter more than his songs. Or that's not true. As much as his songs. Yeah. Like just his like like for the beginning of the second track on this album, he goes, For my first encore <laughs> and that's such like a silly wry way it to move is. into it. The audience fucking eats it up so hard. The audience though. explodes Good on God. this. But I sort of get I think it's him. Yeah. Can I just talk for an unbroken clip for an hour? Would you mind if I did that? Yeah, that's fine. So I'm sorry to bring up a persona non grata in modern comedy, but uh, there's Woody Allen interviews. Uh-huh. Um, I loved Woody Allen as a kid. Of I course. adored him. Yeah. Uh, and in 1991, when it was revealed that he was sleeping with his daughter, uh-huh. I was, and this is long, and this is before there were child molestation accusations, sure. just sleeping with his daughter in mm-hmm. a consensual way uh-huh. uh, bummed me out. Um, I know this is a selfish take to have, but I was oh. so sad to lose a comedy hero yeah, because uh, I was 21 and I had just grown up loving Woody Allen and I still have trouble ignoring old Woody Allen stuff. Long it's way of apologizing so that I want to bring up a Woody Allen interview mm-hmm. from the 60s when Woody Allen was like king of the hill, top yep. of the heap, had conquered stand-up, was writing movies, was a TV writing genius, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he was under 35 or probably maybe even, maybe yeah. even under 30. Yeah. And like... Um, he gave an interview about talking about comedy writing. And one of the things he said was, he goes, some people just have it. And when they're, and he was talking about stand-up in particular. Mm-hmm. And he's like, everybody focuses on the material. I certainly focused on the material, trying to have good jokes, good jokes. He goes, but some people have it. And if you're one of those people, you don't need good material. Mm-hmm. And he named uh, Mort Saul, who mm-hmm. he adored and yep. who has... Nobody knows Mort Saul. His legacy is uh, yeah, I know. only the deepest comedy nerds know Mort Saul. But he still performs. I should point that out every week. Uh, well, I love that. It's and because of Woody Allen, I've listened to a lot of Mort Saul. Uh-huh. And I I like him the way I like Woody Guthrie because I like Bob Dylan, meaning I don't totally dig it. Yeah. But I like knowing the source For sure. of something I do love. 100%. But Woody Allen in this routine was like, and he named Nichols and May. He's like, Nichols and May. He goes, everybody just fell over from Nichols and May. This interview was like in the late 60s. And the interviewer said, he goes, well, Nichols and May kind of don't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of didn't last. And Woody's like, that's just because they stopped. He goes, everything they did, they knocked people's socks off. They just did it for three years and then stopped. Mm -hmm. And this album reminds me of a Nichols and May album where it's this very dry, wry, antiquated, in our modern sensibility, stuff. But the audience explodes. Yeah, But I feel it. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Lehrer makes me giggle. Yeah, I love him way more than his material. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, that's fair. The jokes are good, but I love him out of proportion to that material. It's actually like Weird Al Yankovic. Mm-hmm. Like, you could very cynically dismiss Weird Al as just a very simple parody guy who does mm-hmm. the most obvious jokes on his subject. Sure. But uh, I adore Weird Al so deeply. Yeah. Way beyond. I, I think his jokes happen to be very good, but I love him beyond the quality of those jokes. Yeah, uh, I went to see him at the Greek Theater a month ago and mm-hmm. couldn't wait. Oh, I missed it. Oh, the audience! It was like it was like the Beatles had yeah. shown up. Like the yeah. audience went nuts for Weird Al, mm-hmm. which I loved. Have you ever met him? 
Uh, I have met him. I, I acted in a scene with him on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show. Right. I'm a fucking idiot. No, no. There's, I, no, because no, I saw it, but I did, There's of course... absolutely no reason why you shouldn't. My comedy career is so easy to miss. I would never be insulted. Okay, I, but extensive, though. You've done a lot. I've done... I, I'm... Yes. I, uh, my own theory on my life is that in some alternate universe, I was the world's biggest comedy fan with zero talent. Mm -hmm. And I saved the life of like Robin Williams as a young man or uh -huh. something. And an angel descended and said, in exchange for this great boon to comedy, we will give you another life where you have just enough talent to meet all these people. Right. <laughs> but we're not gonna go nuts, so you're never gonna go too big. Cause I've like, I did improv with Robin Williams for that matter. Oh my God. But I, um, but I did meet Weird Al. Uh, Scott Ackerman cast me in a small role on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show. And it was and it was the season that Weird Al had replaced Reggie Watts, and I did a sketch with him, and he's um he's a dream. He's I mean, the nicest man on the planet. Which you'll hear from anybody who's ever worked with yeah. him, and and it's very L.A. to say like so and so is nice, but it's just true for this guy. Mm -hmm. He is just like um, he's a genuine capital S sweetheart. I only bring it up if they're like blow my mind, sweet and nice. Him and Brian Stack are the two nicest people I've ever met. Absolutely true. In, I've met I've business. I met Brian so early in my improv career and the next time I saw him he's addressing me by name hey Will how yeah. are you how are you uh -huh. I think I played like a park ranger on Conan O'Brien the NBC show in uh -huh. New York i.e. a non-spoken a non-speaking sure, sure. bit part and I and Brian's like oh you do improv at UCB right oh yeah great great next time hey Will how's it going oh you remember you were the last Insane. time like a year ago I'm like are you nuts yeah he knows my career better than like my father and mm -hmm. I've met Brian Stack like maybe 10 times <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Weird Al like, was a for real nice guy and act, and genuinely funny and a true comedy nerd. Mm -hmm. If I may plug another podcast, mm -hmm. my friends do a podcast called This Particular Album is Very, Very Important to Me. It's Joel Spence and Deb Tarika. But they mm -hmm. had Weird Al as a guest who talks oh. about Devo's freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. And his like depth of nerd knowledge on Devo is so endearingly deep. That's great. <laughs> That's so good. Although he's not a know-it-all snob. He just sure. is... He's got the enthusiasm ingredient of the nerd mm -hmm. personality. Anyway, I, I recommend if you're a Weird Al nerd, that's a good uh, window into his that. like just personality. Sure, which is cool. I'm gonna have to listen to that. Because I, I also <clears throat> think he's one of those people whose presence and art is so powerful. I'm pretty sure he probably ended up influencing Devo in reverse because I did see an interview once where Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh, I think half sarcastically was saying, no, Dare to be Stupid is like the best Devo song I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I think he really loved it. I mean, it is a great song. It it's good. my favorite Weird Al track. It's yeah. my favorite non-parody parody. Although, is it? Although it okay. is a style parody. Oh yeah, Dare to be Stupid is like, it's a top 20 song for me, mm -hmm. unironically. Uh, I adore it so much. Um, I'm sure that Weird Al, I mean, he's big enough that, like, when he did um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, mm -hmm. like, Cobain talked about it on The Tonight Show. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, Weird Al called us. And I mean, Cobain was mostly showing off how funny he was. Sure. He was like, I asked him, is it going to be about food? And he's mm -hmm. like, no, it's going to be about how I can't understand the words to your song. Mm -hmm. And then Kurt laughs at, oh, that's funny. But, like, being parodied by Weird Al means you made it. It's like being yeah. on the cover of Rolling Stone. Weird Al shows up in in uh, Kurt Cobain's journals, apparently, too. Quite oh, a bit. Yeah. I love it. Just like basically he thinks he's the greatest musical talent of all time. <laughs> he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, I mean, he's a for real talented musician. Yeah. But as a comedian, I feel like Weird Al, our love for Weird Al is bigger than his material. Mm -hmm. he, he just sure. has it. Yeah. He's got something that mm -hmm. we connect to and that we love. Mm -hmm. Um. 
I, I think we can testify this by the fact that Weird Al like gave up his gimmick for a, late in his career. Like mm-hmm. he gave up the the nerdy dad glasses. He stopped going by Weird Al and just goes mm-hmm. by Al Yankovic now. Mm-hmm. He does. He did a tour of non parody songs. Yeah. and people show up for this stuff. I wish I'd have seen that. That is the tour I wanted to see. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think any tour with him is pretty great. For uh, sure. Um, and so Woody Allen is the one who pointed out to me. It's like yeah, some people just have it. But the names he said were so strange. They mm-hmm. were so particular to the mid-60s, like Nichols and May, Mort Saul. And he was saying that he had it. And he goes, I found that I don't need to have great material if I let the audience get to know me, if I let them see my energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess that's an arrogant thing to say, but I don't think he was wrong. And I think Tom Lehrer is now the, the circuitous path back to our subject. Mm-hmm. I think he's like this. Yeah. Four albums, but I say to you, audience, <laughs> if you listen to it, oh, Bob Newhart's another one. Like, yeah. you know, Bob Newhart has like no energy. He's like the most boring man you can imagine. Yeah. You know, he puts nothing on the ball when he throws it. Mm-hmm. And yet he's a, he was a superstar immediately. Yeah. He was an immediate hit to an insane degree. And I love that album, The Button Down Mind of Bob. I love it today. I think yeah. it holds up. Yes, it does. Khrushchev jokes are a little old. Sure. Um, <laughs> but like... Uh, I adore it. And that was his first time performing in front of an audience. Exactly. That album. Exactly. F- fuck you, Bob Newhart. Fuck you, Bob Newhart. <laughs> like, so there weren't good. enough tracks for an album, so he had to rent a hall and do another yeah. track. The baseball routine, I think, was added on because mm-hmm. he didn't have enough for an album. <laughs> and it was, like, the top-selling comedy album of the year, and it won a Grammy Award. Uh, and like, so nuts. And it's good. It's, yeah. not, it's not just, like, it's a fluke of the moment that no, you no. can no longer understand. Like, it's really good. There's some of these albums that I'm afraid they're like, oh, yeah, I first heard them when I was 14 or 15. Well, of course, they were funny. It's brand new to you. Yeah. But the ones that, like, I try and keep the ones on the wall that continue to be funny. Yeah. And that's definitely one of them. Um, uh, I love listening to an old comedy album um, as a comedy nerd, but also I'm so pleased when I can still feel its power. Yep. Um, okay, so Mort Saul's an example of somebody where uh, all respect to Mort Saul. I don't feel it. Sure. I listen to it. I'm it's like, fair. I don't know. It's not working for me. I can wrap my head around how this influenced people, yeah. uh, and I think that's interesting, and um, and um, and I think he deserves his success in any career he gets. But for it's not hitting me. Mm-hmm. I'm not racing back to hear Mort Saul. Mm-hmm. But when I put on Nichols and May, Nickel and May's for, Nichols and May's first album, I adored it. Mm-hmm. I adored it. Like it was so deeply funny to me. Uh, I was so glad that I had put it on. Um, first Bob Newhart album does that for me. Um, Okay, one that doesn't do it for me is the Beyond the Fringe guys, Dudley Moore, Peter really? Cook. Really? Okay. I do love them. Sure. And I love later Peter Cook and Dudley Moore stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, God. I mean, that's pure, insane, stupid improv. Yes, I love those yes, so much. Yes, I do love it. But the Beyond the Fringe stuff mm-hmm. with the four of them, uh, Alan Bennett and the other guy. God, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, it's interesting to me to mm-hmm. know comedy history, but just most of it I'm kind of bored by. I can't. I can't feel it. Yeah. Um, if yeah, it's like this is stuff they're doing in whatever 1962 for mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, hip London audiences. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tom Lair hits me, man. I love it. It's so, and I'm assuming all scripted, all of his stuff. It's got to be because it's I, so. I don't think he's a loose tight. dude. No, no. Um, well, he's, shit, he's I got the jokes that he does, and mm-hmm. just all these little. Everything's got a nice little setup. It's not. It doesn't ever seem like too much. It's a little, as you say, very wry. Um, he's also 
not apologetic for being a Harvard man, of course. It's very literate sounding at the very least. Yeah, he's not a he's not apologizing <clears throat> for his smarty pantsness. No. Like he doesn't care about trying to win over the whole world. No. No. You sort of have to be on board for some smarty pants stuff if you're gonna like these things. Not that it's like complicated things. He no, just no. He's just full of references. There's, I mean, there is one point, too, where he literally tells them they're going to have to look it up because a lot of them hadn't heard the word necrophilia before. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, about half the audience seems to get it, and some of them are like, ah, I think I get it. And then he's like, no, I, he could tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the first song I ever heard from him was The it was the Elements. Yeah. It was some not, you know, some, I think it was on that comedy hour show I listened to. And it's just him using the music of Modern Major General from Gilbert and Sullivan and listing all of the elements of the periodic table mm-hmm. in rapid-fire fashion. Uh, and it's that's just a parlor trick. Yeah. That's not even a joke. Mm-mm. And it's somehow so funny and silly to me that I giggle every time he does it, and it just makes me laugh. Have you memorized it? Are you one of the people who's memorized it? No, but okay. I, I'm always tempted to. Sure. It reminds me of the Animaniacs have a song where they list all the countries of the world. Yes. Uh, it's, to me, it's the same kind of joy and silliness mm-hmm. and fun. Um, Tom Landers is even more dumb, though, because, like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, chemicals, like, the names are boring. Mm-hmm. And when he introduces it, he just tells the audience, uh, this is nothing more than a list of the elements <laughs> yeah. uh, set to a tune you might recognize. Mm-hmm. All right. And then he just does it. It's like a minute and a half or two minutes or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. so fun. And closes with one terrible rhyme joke, like a yes. terrible rhyme. Uh Yeah. Those old pun rhymes, that is old man humor if I've yep. ever heard it. This is something like, um, that's all the ones that have come to Harvard. There mm-hmm. may be many others, but they haven't been discovered, is what mm-hmm. he says. Yep. Woof. Man. That's all I have to say. That. Yeah, that is a grandpa joke. <laughs> uh, but it's charming that yeah. he does it, I think. I don't know. I love him. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, uh, again, like I say, I, I, I figured I didn't have to re-listen to it that much, but I got stuck listening to it all the way through. Um and I think then the next track begins with he goes next slide please yes. like as if he's doing like an academic presentation. And that also gives they fall over for next slide. Shit, it's like they're they? going to give him a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. He's got <laughs> he's got these college. guys under a spell. <laughs> he does he to does. an insane degree. Where was this recorded? Because you did mention because it's like the something theater. I think at Harvard, like the Sanders Theater. I think you're right. Um, I mean, I think it's the joke is that this recording was made in Tom Lehrer's living room one evening with a few friends. Um, Okay, yeah, very cute. Um, Okay, well, it doesn't say here, but I think you're absolutely right. It's it's somewhere at Harvard or just in Cambridge, right outside of Harvard. He Mm -hmm. didn't he didn't go too far um, from. There's another there's another joke on here that I like, which is uh, if you don't like this record, you will certainly not enjoy (laughs) songs by Tom Lehrer. so, so I read about his career just from coming on the show. Apparently, Songs by Tom Lehrer, his first album, was uh-huh. just like self-published, self-recorded. Yes. Handed yeah. out. He just handed it out to people like who liked him. or some shit's even on there. Yeah. I mean, that's like They Might Be Giants. First thing was just mm-hmm. like they just had a cassette that you would, they, they would mail to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he would just performed around Harvard. He was a hoot to the to the students <laughs> uh-huh. and the local faculty. So mm-hmm. he made an album to sell just to them. Yeah. But it was kind of popular. Right. So then when he did this, this was like his first real album. But he did this simultaneously mm-hmm. with a studio recording. Did you know that? I did not know that. So his self-published album, which is like 1953 or something like yeah, that, is yeah. Songs by Tom Lehrer. Mm-hmm. That one he's just handing out to people at Harvard. Yeah. 
Then some he's performing around, whatever, and some years later gets a record deal. Does two records. Mm-hmm. This one, An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer, which mm-hmm. is the live performance. And this is his most famous one. This is the one that you'll hear. Mm-hmm. But then he also did, I think it's more songs from Tom Lehrer mm-hmm. simultaneous with this, which is the same track listing, okay. same order, just in the studio. Wow. See, I bet I own it and have never listened and therefore did not even realize that. I, I, like, I think hilarious. with the crowd, it's better. Of course, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. He's just he's just uh, terrifically funny. Clementine, the first mm-hmm. track in side two, where he just does parodies of musical styles. Mm-hmm. But they're like, they're like kind of musical theater nerd. He does like a oh, Gilbert yeah. and Sullivan, a Cole Porter parody. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, uh, I don't really know enough Cole Porter songs to no. know how accurate he is, but right. it made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And then he does the modern hip take, and this is a pre rock and roll record. <laughs> so his modern hip take is like a Frank Sinatra. Rat yeah, Pack-ish yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God, it makes me laugh. Is uh, there, if you hadn't heard uh, him on the radio, what are the odds you would have heard him at all, do you think? Like, I don't know, uh, what was your, well, first of all, what kind of comedy was in the house growing up? None. None. I was, I was the comedy. All right. Um, well, that's not true. My mother, my mother was, my mother was funny, but my, I, I didn't, I don't really think that I inherited comedy nerd things from my well boy am i I getting this wrong (laughs) my mother my mother died when i was 16 she's 40 Mm -hmm. so like sometimes i forget even though that even though i was old enough to be friends with her i underestimate her influence i dove into comedy hard after okay Okay. but she was okay so she was a huge fan of steve martin and saturday night live like original cast saturday night live um to the point where, like, when Lorne Michaels returned to the show, he left the show, right, yeah. in 1981 and then came back in 85 or yeah. 86, I think? 86. Uh, like, to my mother, it was, like, an event. Mm-hmm. Like, we stayed up to watch the first episode wow. that he had produced again because That's it's amazing. like, oh, it's it's going to be back. And it wasn't back. That The first half of that season still kind of stumbled over itself mm-hmm. while they while they found their footing. But uh, so I guess I guess she was a comedy nerd. But it wasn't the kind of thing where there was just tons of stuff around the sure. house. Like I felt like I was dragging in old National Lampoon issues and Fire Sign Theater albums and stuff that my friends had told me about. Mm-hmm. So there, there was there was only the comedy of the day in my house, and this is late '70s. So it's like Steve Martin, SNL, Joan Rivers, um, Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's it. And then once we got cable, I would watch Richard Pryor specials on Showtime. Sure. Um, and and Monty Python was on PBS. And that's it, I think. And then everything else was was me and my friends in high school being snobs and <laughs> scouring mm-hmm. the racks. Mm-hmm. So I think I wouldn't have discovered him. Well, again, he would show up on mixtapes of my smart right. friends. Yeah, okay. Like my friends who were going to like, Smith or uh, Harvard or Dartmouth would give mm-hmm. me mixtapes where they would have like kind of crazier stuff that I, you know, this is pre-internet, right? Mm-hmm. So you didn't, it was a bit harder to be exposed to, to things. Sure. Uh, and um, it was like, you'd have certain friends who were kind of like media absorbers who would open your eyes up to other stuff. Yeah. And the elements in Oedipus Rex would show up on some friends' things. That's fair. It's a friend of mine personal. went to Columbia, gave me a tape that had, um, the elements on the end of one of the sides. It's kind of extra personal, though, right? With uh, somebody handing you a cassette oh, tape. Oh yeah, 
you listen to it with a lot more intent for sure uh, or at least i did mm-hmm. um yeah i got introduced to Joni mitchell that way i had never really been oh, that into cool. Joni mitchell and somebody had the circle song on uh, a mixtape and that led me into that super tramp i discovered via mixtapes mm-hmm. not that they i mean they were a huge band but pop music was really not in my house mm-hmm. my parents so my mother i'm realizing now was a comedy fan but neither of my parents were like big music fans interesting it was just like right down the middle beatles motown and like that's it yeah. like there just there was no there, we had like 15 records okay um and like that's it so i discovered all that stuff later too yeah do you think without this kind of discovery of comedy in the way you did i mean do you do you think it was inevitable hopping into comedy for you or was there another path that you felt like? Oh yeah, it was not inevitable. I was a computer programmer and uh, pretty good at it. Um, I think my, my mom dying was traumatic. Sure. It was, it was bad. Uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, I'm against cancer. I'm going to come out and say I'm anti-cancer. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bad, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it messed me up and set me down a path that I was not temperamentally suited to. Okay. I think I just like couldn't bear. I felt lonely after she was gone mm-hmm. and it took me a long time. I'm going to say 20 years before I learned how to have conversations that made me feel heard. Mm-hmm. If I may get therapy-ish mm, on fair. you. But so I was kind of like, I couldn't, the things that I was good at was like sitting in a desk by myself working. Yeah. I was, I was great at math. I was great at computer programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just good at homework, but mm-hmm. that's lonely. Mm-hmm. I was really good at school, yeah. but I could not bear when I finished college to even, I never, never, ever wanted to do grad school because I, I just pictured it sitting at a desk alone mm-hmm. and I wanted people around me. Yeah. Um, even though I wasn't really an extrovert, I both wanted people around me and they annoyed me to no end. Yeah. But so I got into things like stand up and improv just because I wanted to be around fun people. Yeah. That's I couldn't fair. bear the working life mm-hmm. just to go to a cubicle every day. Like in my mid 20s, is like, I can't stand this. Like, yeah. I just didn't know what my options were. I was like, well, what do you, this is life. Like, you just, this is what you do. You uh-huh. go to a job. And um, I couldn't imagine what you could do to support yourself. Um, I took improv classes just to be around the people. I was good at it. Not, I mean, I wasn't even a phenomenon at it. I was good enough. If I hadn't discovered the UCB theater when it was small, yeah, I don't think it would have become part of my life. Okay, yeah, because I wasn't good enough to penetrate something like the Second City or the way the UCB is now. Now, okay, but that time the bar was lower. I, I the bar was lower in terms of how good you had to be. And also, if you loved it and mm. just hung around, you'd become part of it. And yeah. that's no longer true. Right. Okay. Um, but I loved it. I went to shows five or six nights a week. I was intoxicated by the ECB. I was moderately good at it. Mm-hmm. And so that was enough to become part of the scene. Right. And I had good taste. Like, I knew I knew even way beyond my abilities. I knew what was good and what was bad. I knew what the good shows were, who the good people were. And sometimes having good taste can get you in with the good people. Mm-hmm. They like trust you. They want you to be tech for their show. For sure. Yeah. They ask you to read their mm. sketches. You know, yeah. you do like little two line parts in their things just because they know that you get it. Were the classes, they had to have been so I mean, the people who were teaching you were your age. So it had to have been yeah. different than what it is. Not now. only with, yes, I've thought about this many times. Uh-huh. 
I took classes at the ECB in 1999, 2000, uh-huh. 2001 primarily. I would do stuff after that, but that's when I really took all my classes. Mm-hmm. And the UCB theater, the UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, the four-person comedy troupe, Matt Bester, Matt Walsh, Amy Poehler, Ian Roberts, like they arrived in New York in 96, started doing improv teaching classes. They formally got a theater together in 99. Okay. Okay. I started taking classes the end of 99. Okay. Um, and the people teaching had only done improv with them for like a year and a half. Yeah. So you'd be taking improv <laughs> from somebody who had done it for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or maybe they had done it. The UCB themselves had only done it for eight years. Right. Um, and then there were some people who had studied on their own who also, by the time I had taken them, I'm thinking of Michael Delaney and Billy Merritt. They had done it for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but like as I'm talking to you now, I've done improv for 20 years. Yeah. You know, I teach like with a curriculum. I've had like weeks of discussion with other people of how to teach improv. I'm like the hours piled up would would amount to weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, when I took it, it was people – it was not codified. There was no curriculum. Yeah. They themselves had only done it a year and a half. Right. Everyone was flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. It was much more of an apprenticeship. It was much more you got like, into yeah. a room with Paul Shear. Uh-huh. He was really good at it. And he would just be like, well, this is what I do. Get up and try to do it that way. Uh-huh. And then you would do it. He'd be like, I wouldn't have done that. I, how about this? Uh-huh. In, a, in a nice way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was almost – out of humbleness, being like, look, mm-hmm. I don't know the magic formula. Here's how I do Interesting. it. Interesting. And then you would take a class from Jackie Clark, and she'd be like, well, here's how I do it, uh-huh. and here's what stuck with me. And if then if you took from the UCB, they were a bit more formal. They'd be like, no, no, yes, and if this is true, it also okay. is true. Okay, okay, I see. They had they had all the mantras they learned from Dell and yeah. from like Chicago teachers. I really assumed that the Dell Close thing was in everything, that that was everywhere, but that was more specifically the four. Is that what you're saying? I'm understanding correctly. I mean, the big Dell mantras everybody uses, right? Everyone says yes and. Everyone says top of your intelligence. Everyone says, um, you know, treat your partners like poets and geniuses and stuff like that. All Mm -hmm. the Dell stuff gets said. But um, so my my Jackie and Paul and those guys would say that, but they it just wasn't in their bones. Mm -hmm. Like they had never studied with Dell. Yeah. We were doing improv for 20 people, 30 people at most. Mm Mm-hmm. It was it was just for each other. So like no, we didn't know anything. Yeah, I'm sure it, the teachers were not as good as they are now. Sure. Um, but and so you had to put up with whole classes where you learned nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, or you take a you take a workshop with somebody who was an unbelievably funny person, and they just didn't know how to explain it. And so you would just be doing improv in front of them, and they would just laugh or they wouldn't, and that's all you got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just part. You just. That was you just had to take enough classes that you got the good stuff eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved it. It was like the Wild West. It just yeah. it felt like we were just way out in on the fringes of the solar system, alone in a desolate theater with nobody watching. Mm-hmm. But I just had the good taste to know these people are the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I'll. I mean, the four were already becoming very successful. Certainly, Amy was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like. And this is no surprise to any comedy nerds listening now, but I was like, this Jason Manzoukas guy is just as funny as them, yeah. even though he's like just on one of the Herald teams. Yeah. And that Andy Daly guy, I think, is uh, <laughs> super funny. Uh, and Jackie Clark is like knocking me over. And like um, the whole, and then the people coming up, I was like, 
the Zach Woods guys making me laugh. Joe mm-hmm. Winger, Neil Casey, I love them. Boy, that Bobby Moynihan guy, who's a student, who's younger mm-hmm. than me, who's not on a team. Yeah, I'm. I'd like to see his student show. Yeah, I was like, this is a lost king. This is a hidden kingdom of phenomenal people, and I was right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I was a hundred percent right. They all became like fixtures in comedy, and it was great. It's it's just nice that it, the place had to exist for people like themselves and for you. I feel like just to, it feels like a spark because like it, <clears throat> you you sort of maybe know what comedy is and then you maybe know you want to do it or maybe you it's it's all an experiment until you're in the right group of people and then yeah. it, it pops and it's like oh fuck i could keep doing this. i mean i made the conscious decision when i was 30 and i discovered the ecb that i was like i'll just stay here until they kick me out mm-hmm. like i don't like anything else that i've ever done uh-huh i only like this life is short my mother died when she was 40 maybe i've only got 10 years left right. i'll spend it here yeah i don't think that's bad and i'm still there yeah that's and fair. i love it I'm, i t- I, I coached a herald team last night and they were hilarious. That's so good. And I um, teach classes twice a week, and I adore it. I adore it. I, I, I'm glad I've it never, still never means that much it. to you and will oh, continue yeah. to. I can't imagine it not. I mean, it's a different world than it was, and I mm-hmm. am nostalgic for the intimacy of the old days. Sure. But there's other things that are way – it's way more diverse. It was all white dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not all, but like 95% or something. And like – um, that's way different now and that's better. Mm-hmm. The content of the comedy is way more interesting because of that. We are better at teaching. Mm-hmm. We've like, we've developed way better terms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Besser is still like involved. Like Besser yeah, great. goes over the curriculum and talks to teachers and watches stuff. And like the guys who taught us back then are, and Ian does a drop in class every Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's great. They still love it. I'm like, I don't know if, if you've got it in your bones, you can't get rid of it. For sure. Are you... Because music sometimes makes its way into improv, too. Are you musically inclined at all? Yeah. You are. I have a really unimpressive amount of musical talent. Okay. I do a show called Bad Guitar Solos Uh where I play lead guitar with a good band, Mm -hmm. and I just do my best, (laughs) and I pretty much suck at lead guitar. It's it's beyond me. Mm -hmm. But I do my legit best attempt to play like Hotel California Mm -hmm. or Sweet Child of Mine, and and it's bad, and it's really Mm -hmm. terrible, and the band is good, and that's a fun show. But I am trying to teach myself guitar, and I am going to record an album, I've decided. Fantastic. I've written five songs. I'm going to write, like, I don't know, five or six more, and then Mm -hmm. make my friends help me record an album. I am moderately moderately talented at best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love it, so... Yeah, in these songs, though, these are just gonna be straight music, or they're gonna be funny. It's gonna be straight music. They'll be accidentally funny. Sure, okay. Because of my incompetence, and because I am just sort of letting my, you know freak flag fly in terms of you know they might be giants is my favorite band some mm-hmm. would say that they just write theme songs for cartoons even their all their songs maybe you could see them as theme songs for cartoons yeah maybe but uh i love them and so my songs are very verbally dense and sort of square and kind of uh they sound like they want to be parody songs but they're uh-huh. not they're serious um, committed deadpan might be the best okay. way to, de- but I'm not trying to be funny on purpose. I'm just gonna. One of my songs is called um, "Tell the Peasantry I'm Comprised of Squares," <laughs> so Jesus. that's not a joke per se. <laughs> no, but it's like weird. But if I saw it, I would nerdy. immediately know you were. They might be Giants fan. It yeah, right, right. Like so that. it's <laughs> it's wherever that lives. That's it's going to be its mixture of comedy and music. Oh, that's so good. It almost does. It. I mean, it sounds quite perfectly like it's Tom Lehrer and They Might Be Giants wrote a song together or one covered the other. It's, it's like um, I'm going to be the world's shittiest They Might Be Giants 
band is it's what fine. I'm going to be. I'll be like the lost member who they rightly kicked out <laughs> or something like that. That's fine with me. It's fine I with mean... me too. Uh, you, maybe you and 20 other people can watch me do it someday for free in the UCB. 100%. Because <laughs> I'm going to try to bully, bully my – use my clout there to try to make – let let myself do a concert oh that's so good in one of the in the free room or something like that we'll you, sh- you should stand by stand by for mm-hmm. that how about your banter though are we gonna have in between song banter? oh baby i'll be crushing the banter <laughs> if there's one thing i have on regular musicians it's an ability to talk to the audience i mean musicians are such idiots usually when they do banter it's like uh-huh. they've never had a conversation with anybody someone will play like the most beautiful yeah song and they'll just like put an absolute spell on you with their voice and their guitar playing then they'll step to the mic and be like uh this next one is a, a song uh, uh that i wrote uh uh it's on a my uh record uh and then they start and uh-huh. you cry and it's like what happened uh-huh what what you 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 don't know how to talk to a human being <laughs> i don't know like i find that to be true of a high percentage of musicians yeah. whereas between songs they might be giants are funny as fuck Oh man, the between song banter for they so might be giants. Uh, I uh, one of the most recent times I saw them, Flansburg stepped up to the mic. And it was a couple years ago. He's like, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm 50 years old." And then, like launched into the. <laughs> I think next, I was there for that, and I really loved it. Um, very early, I saw they might be giants in 1990 for the first time, and it was just the two of them in a drum oh machine. Oh my god! And one of uh, one of the they introduced the song "Twisting," which is on Flood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Flansburg's introduction for it was, uh, this is one of our She Hates You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah series. It's called <laughs> Twisting. Um, I was like, man, that's funny. Man, <sighs> I adore them. It's annoying how funny they are, really. Yeah. Because uh, I could listen to them just banter. I'm sure if they the two of them had a podcast. Oh, God. If the two of them had a podcast, I would. Uh, I would love it, although it would be 90% Flansburg, but I'd still, uh-huh. I'd still be on board for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because you just have to picture Linnell kind of grinning off to the side and then you'd be good then you'd, then you'd, you'd get good, what yeah. was going on uh, I'm going to plug another podcast please two friends of mine Connor Ratliff and uh, J.D. Yamato they do a podcast called 12 Hour a Day have you uh-huh. heard of this uh-uh. every episode is 12 hours long 12 hours of unbroken audio they hang out for 12 hours and That's record it beautiful yep uh, I they're good friends of mine when I moved to LA they just started doing it so I would listen to these episodes because I'd missed them mm-hmm. I listened to two like four episodes then I was like I can't do it anymore it's, uh-huh. it's too insane but John Flansburg is a guest on episode eight or something uh-huh. and he hangs out with them for like three hours oh my God. they have lunch with Flansburg and so the first two or three hours is Flansburg talking to Connor and JD and it's um it's great that's so good if you're a TMBG fan yeah 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 of course it's some good uh it's some good um unvarnished Flansburg convo that's so wonderful yeah do you have a favorite track on this entire thing i don't think we've gone over that uh oedipus rex yeah uh, yeah god yeah uh, i also love the masochism tango mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i'm i'm soft spot for the elements mm-hmm. uh, i'll pick oedipus rex though um so the his rhymes are pretty amazing for sure i listened to the vatican rag before i came over here which is on mm-hmm. a different album and uh he rhymes uh, transubstantiation with something in that, in that song. It's, that's pretty funny. I feel it. And, and the best part of that is that's the joke, I feel like. Yeah. It's like, hey, I managed to rhyme transubstantiation. He also r- rhymes abdomen with Roman, <laughs> yes. which I think is really funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, f- I know he's just being cute, but I mm-hmm. find him cute, man. I find him adorable. Okay. I'm attracted to him, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm into the record. That's fair. I mean, he's still Did- around. I've got his phone number. Yeah? I do. He, he's in the book. He's notoriously in the book, but will not do interviews. He uh, might talk to you, but he's 
but he won't do an interview. I've that's tried. like uh, Steve Ditko, uh, the creator of Spider Man, was mm-hmm. like that. You could like, really? I mean, he's, he just passed away last year, but you could walk up to his studio in New York. He was listed on the directory in the oh bottom of the building. Knock on his door, and he'd answer, and then would refuse to talk to you. That's which I was like, delightful. that's weird, dude. You're yeah. weird. You're yeah. ass- you like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. You like, like you want to turn people away? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so fucking funny. To yeah. Me. Um. I mean, I would go see a Tom Lehrer concert, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, even though playing this record is exactly what it would be. Mm-hmm. But it's just like I'd go see Neutral Milk Hotel. I'd go see Jeff Mangum in concert, mm-hmm. even though it's just going to be that album. Mm-hmm. These people who just did, like, one perfect thing and went away, I'm like, God bless you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the thing we always Not support. me. I'm doing a million mediocre things. Right. Hoping that one of them catches fire. Yeah. Hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but I'm waiting, baby. <laughs> But to be fair, every time you're on Comedy Bang Bang, I, I'm re- when I see your name pop up, I'm always looking forward to whichever oh, thanks. delightfully dumb character. Well, I'm hit or miss. <laughs> Doing Comedy Bang Bang is one of the most fun things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. There is zero prep. You walk in, Ockerman goes, how should I introduce you? Mm-hmm. You tell him, and then he just starts. There's not even chit- chit-chat <laughs> before the show. Good. And then it just starts, and you're in it, and then he has no idea what's coming. Uh-huh. I've brought in characters that have been absolute zeros, huge <laughs> misses that – very early into it, I'm like, oh, this isn't working and I'm doomed. Mm-hmm. And then I've had some that were super fun. And then most of them are kind of in the middle where they, they hit little streaks that are good. I'm not like your Hall of Fame bang bangers where they just like a Domian who just comes in and he's on <laughs> fire the whole time. I did one with the Domian, though, where I sat uh-huh. next to him. And it was like being next to um, a nuclear explosion. I can only imagine. Like he was so funny immediately. Yeah. And he hadn't—he didn't pick what character he was going to do until he was introduced. Oof. He was like writing down notes on. He—he uh, he, he was either going to do Sebastian Gorka or uh-huh. Jesse Ventura, uh-huh. and he—the last minute went with Ventura, mm-hmm. and he just was so funny. Right. Gosh, it was crazy. Uh, well, I, I sat did... next to a lot of the Bang Bang luminaries. I've done it with Paul F. Tompkins a couple times, mm-hmm. Lapkus a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fun doing it with those guys. I... Haven't been with Daly. It's interesting that that's a show hosted by a guy who's not an improviser, but well, who's but he very is, good at it. He's excellent at it. Yeah. Um, he's just such a good comedic mind. Yeah. I mean, he's the show to me. Like, as mm-hmm. funny as the guests are, like, Ackerman is like, he's the show. He, uh, what he's doing is uh, so incredibly difficult, I think. Yeah. Like, oh, no, he's never at a loss. He does no prep. Uh-huh. He has a weirdly encyclopedic memory of all the past episodes. Yeah, that I don't get. And um, and 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 an instant recall of the current episode, mm-hmm. like any callback in the current episode, he doesn't miss a trick, and yeah. that makes everybody stand up straighter. For sure, um, it's just a blast. It is it is as fun as it sounds like it is. When he was here, he talked about the two thousand year old man, uh, and you know he picked smartly the Carl Reiner part. He picked the part that is like the kind of not. Oh yeah, Reiner part. keeps Mel Brooks going one hundred percent. And to rein in a man like Mel Brooks, who won't fucking shut up. Yeah. And I love him. But I, you, you listen to the man, even in a regular interview, won't stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, to rein him in, that's that's a skill. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Ackerman's way better. I would say Ackerman's better than Reiner because Ackerman is also hilarious. Like, yeah. he oh, says absolutely. so many funny things. Um, I mean, the plan for Comedy Bang Bang as a podcast sounds to me like a bad idea. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then it works every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's uh, because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and also amazing guests, certainly. For but sure. even when the guests are duds, mm-hmm. I've been a dud guest. <laughs> I've been on episodes where everybody was kind of a dud. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty good. And that's because of him. I mean, he has to work fun. a lot harder on those shows. Um, yeah, it, it's a 
Sean Clements is the reason I, I met Scott Ackerman, the uh, co-host of Hollywood Handbook, mm-hmm. old UCB friend. And it, and because of Clements, basically, I, I was gifted uh, one of the great joys of my weird little comedy career. What was is... the first character you did? Was it? On Bang Bang? Mm-hmm. I did an alien called Q-Thor, who um, was an alien spirit that had accidentally inhabited a shitty earth body, which uh-huh. was me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And I had a whole complicated – this really didn't work. I had a whole complicated backstory, and it was too much. Mm-hmm. Pat Oswald was on there, and it worked okay. And then the next time, I think I was just a librarian mm-hmm. who had a literacy drive. And then I just started doing different people every time, intending on yes-anding them into an insane life story that mm-hmm. could never be brought back. Right. That was more fun. <laughs> um, but the, my first appearance was on Hollywood Handbook where – Clements had myself and my friend Neil Casey as his lawyers. He and Hayes Davenport, the co-host of Hollywood Handbook, had Neil Casey and I on as the lawyers mm-hmm. to negotiate a salary. So Ackerman and Jeff Ulrich, the founders <laughs> of Earwolf, were there to represent <laughs> Earwolf. So Neil and I were trying to negotiate a salary. Currently, they were paid zero. Mm-hmm. We were trying to get, I think, like $50,000 an episode. Mm-hmm. And I ended up negotiating away the rights to Hollywood Handbook <laughs> and had them pay $5,000. <laughs> to Ackerman or something That's like that. Delightful. Um, and after that, Ackerman's like, oh, you and Neil got to come on Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. He asked us like right after. Um, and Neil couldn't do it. And I was like, well, I could do it. Is mm-hmm. that lame? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that's how I got in there. Is there, so I have a real problem with things being finite versus, um, uh, I'm not on a lot of people's podcasts other than my own, right? So okay. I love the idea that he has only four albums. You can keep track of everything you've done. Yes. I don't know if you're a neurotic person who is driven crazy by the fact you've probably done hundreds of podcasts and a million improv shows. I, I mean, I'm a completist like by it? nature. I, I don't – I had to give over to the fact that my career is not collectible. Uh-huh. Like it's so diluted and disparate and sprinkled over so many dumb things that mm-hmm. you can't get the complete Will Hines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you'd want to. Uh, I think that would be an unsatisfying quest, uh-huh. but you couldn't even do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like you can get like all the Bob Newhart albums. There's sure. like not that many. Yeah. And buy his shows on DVD and all that shit. And you're, are you speaking hypothetically? No, I, 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 I buy. I have most of his shows on DVD. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, and there are some comedians like that where they mm-hmm. have just they just have a small amount of stuff. But then there's people who are you know, like they're just on everything. And I don't know, it's just the way the world is now. Yeah, you just try to build a million cheap robots and hope one of them, by through laws of Darwinism, survives. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and no, I'm 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 not I on my own podcast that I make I'm frustrated because I, I want to make a better podcast and I don't know quite what to do. I'm sort of stuck stuck. I don't know what to do there. I do three podcasts a week, and I still don't know what the hell to do. The, the The podcasts that make the most always have segments and shit, and I can never quite bring myself about just to have segments, except for this one, which is, um, in in a couple sentences, why I recommend people listen to this album. I want me to do that now? Yeah. Say it again. Give me my instructions exactly, just in a and couple, I'll do it. In a couple of sentences, recommend why to listen to this album. Maybe you've never heard of Tom Lehrer. Okay, if you've never heard of Tom Lehrer, uh, so this is, um, it's a good comedy history. It's a, a window into the past. Mm-hmm. And it's um, and it's a uh, joyful and short. That's perfect. Yeah, and it's also you know, like, no, that's not true. If you'd never heard, it, I'd be like, they're they're parody songs mm-hmm. from a very cynical smarty pants, mm-hmm. who was hilarious even though he was a Harvard professor of mathematics. 
I think that's the intriguing way to do it. No, that's good. And they hold up even if you don't particularly get the musical references. Just as like There's not a good too many album. references. There's no. not too many. Although, you know, stylistically, maybe he's doing some stuff that I just can't track because I don't know anything about musical history. But right, right. But it's it, that all you don't you don't need to know any of that. No, not to it's laugh. not like a news parody where he's really making fun of the issues of the day. And, right. You know what I mean? There's not like there's not like Walter Cronkite jokes in these things. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. It doesn't ever feel like a 1959 album to me. That is one feels thing way that, more modern. than yeah, that. it does. It, especially with a few th- like the masochism tango is like very like there's a lot of stuff about perverts like people yeah. poison pigeons, people who beat each other up while they do it. Yeah. It's fine. I'm not judging it. It's, I just love that they're On in... his first album, they were more risque. He had I Got It From Agnes, which is all about uh, STDs. Oh, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that one. And like he couldn't... He was trying to make an album that was more family-friendly. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. With this. Me. That's really funny to me. So the Masochism Tango is his family-friendly stuff. I just love... Because it's, it's done in vocabulary that doesn't pop out to young ears. Absolutely. Like it doesn't sound blue. Yeah. Um, you could play it in front of your kids, and they wouldn't know. They wouldn't if you don't know. By the Oedipus time they're Rex old enough to know about. the words, they're old enough to hear it. Yeah, so. Oedipus only works if you know the story. Yeah, the Oedipus one, <laughs> even though it's telling about this, so good having sex with your mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, it, it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> There's some verse where it's like maybe the lesson from this is to get your be nice to your mother, get her flowers and a hat, but maybe you better leave it at that <laughs> or something. Uh, it's such a funny way to describe Oedipus. Yeah, it's delightfully disturbing. I love it. And his voice is unique. Uh, there's nobody else who sings like this man. No, that's true. He's got that low, got that low voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't have too big a register, so he writes mm-hmm. for his own. He's a really adept piano player. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, that's sort of impressive in the background. It's like Steve Martin on his banjo. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, the incidental skill you're showing here is formidable. It blows my mind yeah. every time. Ah, uh, Steve, come back to comedy. Oh, he still does it. Him and him and Martin Short. I saw now, him right? in Martin Short's show. How at, was that? The it was great. I hadn't seen the Netflix show, which I guess apparently it was just the Netflix show done live, okay. like with a little bit more padded mm-hmm. out. But um, uh, it was just super charming and funny and great, That's and they cool. were just hilarious, and I loved them. Not sold out. Really? You could have bought tickets. That's very weird. To you could have walked up and bought tickets. I should have. Weird Al, super sold out. Of course it was. Every time. Yeah, sold out early. I've never been to a more packed show than a Weird Al show ever. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, I mean, I'd be mad if I was Steve Martin. Uh-huh. I mean, I love Weird Al, but yeah. I wouldn't want him crushing me like that. Uh-huh. But he crushed him. He crushed Steve Martin. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I would like you to tell people where they can find you. Okay. Uh, talk about podcasts that you do. Okay. Whatever the hell you want. I do a million things, people. So, But here's what I'd like this you to focus good. on. Uh, I have a podcast I do with my brother called Screw. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books. We do it every week. My brother and I grew up loving comics. I know it's really hard to find two middle-aged men who want to tell you about their obsession with comic books, but uh, we've we've located it for you, and it's in our podcast. And um, I have a Twitter account, Will Hines, W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S, that is currently all lies. It is all lies. And um, some people, I think, still think I'm telling the truth, but... I'm like talking about auditions that I'm getting and um, <laughs> scripts I'm selling, and um, none of it's true. My career is at an all-time low, but uh, you can enjoy my Twitter account. Um, and then I have an improv book. This is only if you already like improv. Regular people, stay away. You will hate this book. But improv nerds, I have a book called How to Be the Greatest Improviser on Earth, and you can find that on a little old book site called Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what I'd like to plug. Brilliant. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yes, um, I concur. Uh, good. I'm glad. You're welcome <laughs> back anytime, of course. All right. I'll be back tomorrow. Okay, perfect. Um, 
I don't know what the hell to promote. Uh, you know, follow me on Instagram. There you go. Jason <laughs> What's Klom, your Instagram? J-A-S-O-N-K-L-A-M. I'm an idiot. Full name on Instagram, but J-Klom on Twitter. No reason. I also have Jason Klom, but I don't use it for me. It's very stupid. Um, I should have switched around a, a long time ago. Um, you could delete your Jason Klom and change your handle of J-Klom. I could, but then, see, the thing is, I use that, the Jason Klom, for my alter ego <clears throat> from my improv movies that I did for a while uh-huh. uh, where I was running my, he was running for president he's a moron I'm less of a moron I see I see so I it's see. one of those yeah you're right you're things, trapped you know you're I'm trapped saying? I'm fucked um, and then yeah no that's it follow me on Instagram hashtag the professional blur that's when I put photos and videos of me doing very stupid extra work where you can see me for about five frames <laughs> it's fun I, you know you, you, you do that enough it's like well get something out of it other than the little bit of pay they give you so yeah. that's what I do alright um, again well thank you so much you're welcome. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!